Former FCC Chairman Newton Minow called the media a vast wasteland. Well, I submit it's far, far more than that. It's a battlefield for your mind. Mortar fire, cannon fire, grenades full of lies. And we're taking the losses. It's time for a night in this savage land. That used to be called a paladin. A defender of the good and honest against the onslaught. Well, we're TNN. The Truth News Network. And your paladin against the barrage is Dan Newman. Remember that old TV show, Paladin, Paladin? It was about a cop, a cowboy cop back then. That was a good guy. I guess I do qualify for that. Thank you, Pete. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the last day of the week, and thank you for sharing this part of that last day with us at TNN Live. If you're new to the show, we're here every morning, Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time. You can join in live anytime. And of course, if you can't commit the two hours or even part of the two hours, and I understand that, we're busy people, all of us. So you can't get it all in one setting. Important things are covered on this show all two hours. That's two hours times five days a week. That's 10 hours. So let me make a suggestion. Just set you up. You probably have Apple. Well, Apple Podcaster there. You can download the homepage, the app for TNN Live. Do that. And then when the podcast comes up, the cover page, and you see that mugshot of me, just download them. Put the download mode in, and it will automatically, after our show's over every day, we upload the show to about 37 different podcast hosting sites, places like Google, Stitch In, Spotify, and of course, Apple. They all get the show, TNN Live, and that way you can have them on your phone, on your computer, and you can always go back and listen. You don't miss anything. We don't monetize our show. We don't monetize the website. This is all as a service to you guys. We never ask you for any money. Nothing like that. At this particular point, we're blessed that we are able to do this as a service to our friends and people that look and listen in and read our stories. It's all about getting everybody that we possibly can to understand what's really going on in all the areas of our lives that we consider to be important. That's a big deal. There's a lot of noise out there. And yeah, there are some people that say what we do here is nothing more than noise. But here's the difference between us and them. We let you be the arbiters of what's true and what's not. We tell you about things that we hear that we figure you're going to be determined that they're important to understand and know. And then we tell you what we think, and we always make sure you understand. This is our opinion. We always tell you, make sure you go check it out for yourself, whatever it is. That's the way we find facts, and that's the way we can verify things we think are true, really are true, or not true. And in the end of it, at the very end of it all, don't you want to finish your life, however long that's going to be, and finish on an up note, knowing that on the most part, you made the right choices. 
about every one of the important things. That's what I want to be able to say that I did. Well, we're going to crank it up with some big stuff. In just a couple of minutes. think of a better way to term it than just to say it's a bunch of crap we go through it all the time it's mixed in with good that's a good thing isn't it but we should just do our best at everything we do do the right thing filter through before you make choices filter through the options and make sure you're picking the right option and when it comes to making life changes especially the big ones Don't you think it's better to find out all the facts before you make them and jump in to make sure it's the right one? And that's what God does for all of us. He gives us that opportunity 
take it, do it, take advantage of that. And most of the time, things are going to come out on the good side. If we could come out on the good side of every choice we have to make in our lives, and the majority, the vast majority of those is going to be the right one, man, that's it like hitting a home run. No question about it. Well, jobs numbers are out today. And if you look at them from one perspective, they look pretty decent. But if you read the fine print, there's more to it than the headlines say. What you're going to see and hear in almost every radio, television, online news media report today about jobs numbers, you're only going to get the top line stuff that says this. Jobs surge 216,000 higher raising inflation risk. So let's dig in just for a second. Now listen closely. These are numbers, but you've got to find a way to interpret them and to how they apply to you. Employers in the U.S. accelerated hiring in December. They added 216,000 workers to payrolls. The unemployment rate, unchanged. Stayed the same, 3.7%. Economists, now here's where you dig in and look at the hidden kind of things. Economists have been expecting the economy to add 170,000 jobs. Instead, they got 216,000. Wow, that's great, right? Well, it was announced that payrolls increased by 199,000 in November, 150,000 in October. But guess what? That 150,000 October number was revised down to 105,000. So they lost 50,000. And the November number was revised down. November was revised down to 173,000. This is happening month after month. The Labor Department, they're the experts, right? They're the ones that are supposed to know where we are regarding everything to do with employment and also about the unemployment, the numbers, and who and how and what sectors of the economy are doing good and which ones are doing bad. But during the Biden administration, we never see those numbers go the other way. Well, we underestimated the numbers the Labor Department did, and so... We thought it was going to be 150,000, but guess what? It was 280,000. And next month, when you get those numbers, you don't have the little asterisk that says, well, we're going to revise last number and the number before that month, we're going to revise them down. Maybe fiddling with the numbers. Now, where do you stand in all of this? If you got a job, this almost seems meaningless to you. If you don't have a job, however, this says maybe you got a better chance now to get the job that you wanted before all this craziness began three years ago. You're going to make a choice. We all make that same choice every day. Are we going to look at the, the glass as being half empty or half full? My goal has always been my entire life to be a realist. In other words, accept facts and make decisions and choices based on facts, not on dreams and things I want to see happen, 
but base them on factual information when it's time to make those choices. Therefore, my glass is typically half full more than half the time. You don't need to be a pessimist, but when you think something's right and you find out later it's not, don't keep doubling and tripling down on the bad number when you found out it is a bad number. Just get off of it. Accept the reality and move on. That's hard to do. None of us want to do it, but facts are facts. Those little squishy things that you just can't change. You can step on them, but they're still going to come out and be what they are. Dad gummit. By the way, whoever came up with that phrase, dad gummit, I have no idea what it means, but I've heard it and I've used it my entire life. Criminality, police, and all those things related to those, I don't need to tell you it's a bad year. We had a really bad year. Number of cops across the U.S. shot on the job in 2023, new highs. It's getting worse, in other words. Number of police officers shot on the job, according to the National Fraternal Order of Police, showed 378 officers were shot in the line of duty in 2023. How does that compare? Well, that number is up 14% from the previous year. Of the 378 shot in 2023, 46 died from their injuries. A graphic from the report shows the significant increase in the last few years as well as the breakdown by state. It goes on to say there were 115 ambush-style attacks on officers last year, leading to 20 fatally shot officers. A guy named Patrick Yos, national president of the Fraternal Order of Police, he blasted the defund the police movement. He said it led to a spike in shootings that has not stopped. It's not going down. It's continuing to rise. That movement took off after the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis and then the ensuing Black Lives Matter riots across the summer. Hundreds of them. Hundreds of them. With the COVID-19 pandemic behind us now, and after so many of us have seen tragic consequences of the defund the police movement, it was our hope that these numbers would be a high watermark, and we were wrong. Thankfully, because of dramatic improvements in medical trauma science and anti-ballistic technology, the lethality of these attacks on cops has been reduced a bit, and only 46 of these officers shot in the line of duty were killed, thank God. This advocate for the FOP, Yoz is his last name, he's called for Congress to pass the Protect and Serve Act. What does it do? If they pass it, it'll create federal criminal penalties for those who target cops. And unless and until we get that where they are going to pay, they being the perpetrators shooting and killing cops, unless they're held accountable according to the rule of law in dramatic fashion, everybody's looking at our criminal operations in every city, every part of the nation, and they're seeing it's not working the way it's being structured now. We got to change that. Truthfully, the violence against those sworn to protect and service 
is beyond unacceptable. It's a stain on our society. It's got to end. It's incumbent upon all of our elected officials and community leaders got to stand up, got to support our political and our law enforcement heroes, speak out against violence, and especially violence against law enforcement officers. Unless and until we do that, it's going to continue, but it's going to get worse and worse and worse. There's a lot of things that are happening around us that are very important, and there are so many of them. And I think purposely, news media, mainstream news media, when they set their calendars and they look at what they're going to report on each day during the cycle, it starts very early in the wee hours of the morning and it goes all the way up until around midnight. Most of that is planned 24 hours in advance. And they collude. There's no question they do. We've told you about the process that's been in place for a couple of decades where they check each other out early every morning and they get on the same page of not only what they're going to talk about, but the perspective they're going to leave listeners and readers and watchers with. There's no doubt about it. And therefore, they, just because of colluding with each other, they're editing what we're seeing and hearing. They're only telling us what they think we should know, and they hide stuff from us. This fanatical Green New Deal, green energy operation, anti-natural gas, anti-oil, and pro-everything else, it's tearing our nation apart. They've been promoting wind energy now for several decades, and it is effective in some places, but it comes with a bunch of downside. They don't want to talk about the downside, and they call themselves naturists, you know, naturalists, people that want to protect our green life, things around us. It's no longer just okay to go after pollution. You have to go after everything they say is bad for us, and if you don't, you're X'd off the list of people that are good. Offshore wind projects. Big deal, right? You see them everywhere. Well, one of those big, one of the biggest, if not the biggest wind project has been canceled. Hmm, that's up on the East Coast. Off the shores of New Jersey and New York. So why would it be canceled? I mean, the left is all in for everything to do with natural energy, right? Well, the country, uh, the country, the company that was doing the project contracted for it. They canceled it because of inflation, inflation, inflation. After the Biden administration brags of how successful that project already is. It was previously touted by the Biden administration as an example of positive Bidenomics. No more. Canceled. Developers saying it's inflation, interest rates, supply chain disruptions. BP and Equinor said they canceled the project. I didn't know BP was involved in it. But they canceled it, dubbed the Empire Wind 2 that was to be built off the shores of New York and northeast 
New Jersey. A press release stated the two companies had come to an agreement with the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority to terminate the project. This agreement reflects changed economic circumstances on an industry-wide scale. Now, what could possibly be wrong? Binomics has made everything better for every American. If you don't think so, just listen to Corrine Jean-Pierre or Joe Biden. Everybody else in his administration doesn't even want to talk about it because that's not a good thing. Bidenomics, well, let's just be plain. It sucks. It's a downer in every way. It only sounds good to Joe Biden. This agreement they reach reflects changed economic circumstances on an industry-wide scale. That's what they're telling us. Their decision to cancel it recognizes commercial conditions are really, really bad and being driven into worse territory every day by inflation, by interest rates, supply chain disruptions. Those prevented altogether Empire Wind 2's existing ORIC agreement from even being slightly viable. Molly Morris is president of Equinor Renewables Americas. She said the company is open to more economically viable projects in the future. In other words, we ain't circling back to this one. It's toast. One thing they didn't mention, all the wells, dozens and dozens of wells that are living in the proximity of these northeast, northeastern just off the coast of the northeast parts of the United States. Whales are just showing up dead with no explanation. Now, if it was the other way around, they'd be, oh my gosh, it's that horrible wind energy stuff. It's killing all our natural, natural inhabitants, the habitation places where they live, and they're dying from it. But nope, it's their deal. It's their answer to everything, green energy. And they even think about it not being done. They can't even process that, and so they don't. I mean, that's I'm just being honest. They don't process it. They ignore it. And if they choose to ignore something, what does that mean? It means it doesn't exist. And so if it doesn't exist, why do we talk about it? We don't. We just ignore it. And because we ignore it, that's all it takes. What we think is the way it is. Wow. Listen, I ran across a little segment uh, on Tucker Carlson's new show. And it blew my mind when I listened to it because it answered a lot of the questions that I had about this crazy illegal immigration, southern border debacle, flood of illegals, whatever you want to call it. But Tucker broke it down and made it so simple that even I can understand it. And it it so floored me when I saw it. I watched it again. And I just shook my head the whole time. I think every American should be required to listen to this. And so I'm requiring you to listen to this. It explains 
a lot. It's funny about profound change. You always imagine when things change radically, there are going to be troops in the streets, and you're going to know this is the pivot point. This is the revolution. But that's most of the time not what actually happens. Usually there's some guy in a suit and tie speaking soothing words. And you don't even know that everything is changing when it is. That's the case with what happened on June 15th, 2012, a decade ago. On that day, Barack Obama walked into the Rose Garden and announced, full of self-confidence and coolness, Obama announced that his administration decided actually not to deport millions of illegal immigrants. Henceforth, Barack Obama explained, these millions of people would no longer be identified, in fact, as illegal aliens or even breakers of federal law, which everyone had assumed they were. No. Going forward, they would be called dreamers. So illegal aliens are bad, of course, but dreamers are good. And because to control language is to control reality, these dreamers would no longer be subject to federal law. They'd be above federal law because you can't ban a dream. That's effectively the case that Obama made. Now, what Obama did that day was, strictly speaking, illegal. Several courts later ruled that it's illegal, obviously. Only kings and legislatures get to change the law. American presidents do not have that power and never have. But no one stopped Barack Obama from doing this, so he did it anyway. And the effect, the intended effect, was immediate. Foreign nationals flooded into the United States. Over the decade before Obama's Dreamer Rose Garden announcement, about 8,000 unaccompanied minors showed up at the U.S. border every year. After Obama redefined lawbreakers as dreamers, more than 24,000 showed up. And that's accelerated. Under Joe Biden, the number has grown to 130,000 per year. Now, it's interesting where these people are coming from. They're not coming from a contiguous nation, Mexico. No, they're coming from much farther away. According to new numbers from HHS, 32% of unaccompanied migrants they're seeing are from Honduras. 47% are from Guatemala. Look at a map. 13% are from El Salvador. Those are far away. Those are in Central America. Just 1% are coming from Mexico. What's going on here exactly? Well, mostly they are teenagers. The overwhelming majority are over the age of 14. They're not little kids. And again, this is accelerating. And it didn't stop during the last administration. The Trump administration didn't stop it. Under media pressure, that administration agreed to end so-called family separations at the border. Really, they're inhumane. But the fact is, family separations happen all the time to American citizens. If you commit a crime, you're going to be separated from your kids, and NBC News won't care at all, much less report it. But illegal aliens, dreamers, shouldn't be forced to face these consequences, explained the New York Times. So now they're not phase two, because they're dreamers. So naturally, the surge continued. But why? Why? Typically, a country calculates its immigration levels based on its internal needs. So all throughout American history, there have been periods where, oh, we need people to do this or that. Let's import those people. But based on the state of the U.S. economy in 2022, these are not the people you would import if you cared about your country. Almost none of the arrivals have a meaningful education. They're not trained to participate in the emerging economy you hear so much about. STEM plays no role in this. There's no economic justification whatsoever for these levels of immigration. And of course, immigration destabilizes your society. It makes it far less cohesive. That's always true. It doesn't matter where they're coming from. If you have a ton of new people, you're less cohesive. So why are they coming? Well, there's only one reason because the Democratic Party wants new voters, period. 
That's not a racist conspiracy. It's a racist. Con- no, it's not. It's true. And we know that it's true, not because we heard on Alex Jones, but because leading Democrats have said so repeatedly in public for years. And here's the latest example. Here is Chuck Schumer, the head Democrat in the U.S. Senate last month. Now more than ever, we're short of workers. Uh, we have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. The only way we're going to have a great future in America is if we welcome and embrace immigrants, the dreamers, and all of them, because our ultimate goal is to help the dreamers but get a path to citizenship for all 11 million or however many undocumented there are here. Everything about that was a lie. We need workers, really. There are, what, 7 million American-born men who have dropped out of the workforce? Workforce age who just aren't working, who are on the Internet all day? Does anyone care? No. Just replace them. Americans aren't reproducing. Really? Why? Well, because the economy has changed. And what's their answer to that, the Democratic Party's answer? Well, the Treasury Secretary told us a month and a half ago, she said, if you're worried about the economy, have an abortion. People who want to have kids increasingly can't. Why is that? Well, because the food supply in the air and water have been poisoned and sperm counts are half what they were a few decades ago. So these are specific problems that have prevented millions of Americans from having families, from reproducing, as Chuck Schumer just said. And you could fix them if you tried, but they're not trying. Instead, the solution is to replace the people who aren't reproducing with millions of new people from other countries. And there you have it. That put the entire story, the purpose, why all of this is happening at our southern border, it's all purposeful. And they, you just heard Chuck Schumer, hey, it is what it is. We're not getting the right people. We're not having babies like we used to. We need people that will work in these grunt jobs that we can control every part of their life. Of course, he doesn't admit that. Tucker's got a way of structuring explanations to make sure everybody, if they want to know the facts, can listen to what he says and interpret for themselves Is this real or is it not? Is this an answer that's correct or is it just politicization? In this case, I can tell you, Tucker hit the nail on the head. It's all being done purposefully and it's all against federal law. And right now, at least so far, nobody in the federal government as being held accountable for that. That is the bad, bad, bad part of this whole thing. No accountability. What that means, it turns into illegality. And what do we tell you? Illegality in the United States has never been in modern history as bad as it is today. Ask a cop. In any city in America now, Criminality is going through the roof. It's getting worse, and there's no end in sight. Wow. Hey, listen, I fell on something yesterday, reading and catching up. Um, You know who 
You know who Juan Williams is. African-American guy. He's been in news media in D.C. long time. Has a nice personality, but he is a hardcore leftist. Why Fox News ever brought him in as a contributor, I understand. And I hate to say this about any news organization that I don't know factually is the reason for putting somebody on the air or not putting somebody on the air. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's my opinion. He's a token black opinion editorial guy for Fox News. They need to have one, somebody that's on the not white side of reporting. And he came out with an editorial about the 2024 stuff we're walking into now and the stuff we talk about every day. I'm going to let you hear exactly what Juan Williams, who is a true representative of the other side of conservatism, buckle yourself in. You'll want to go after Juan Williams. And that's next. Budweiser presents the world's first star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry I'm late. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Budweiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh. Your name. Come here. Now. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a Bud. You've earned it. Your name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Great shadow legends. I mean, <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian. They're spooky. They're um, um, big. And then you go to battle. And it's like, then finally your foe is vanquished. And that satisfaction is such a primal feeling. Ooh, Download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free. Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Hi, can I get a... Uh... Can I get a... Okay, get in the McDonald's. Ooh, Ooh. can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Yeah, can uh, I get a... Uh... 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 Go, Bubba, go! Uh... Bubba, go! Uh... Pick me! No, pick me! Hey, can I get a... Uh... 10-piece chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like with that? Uh... In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. Well, after you hear what I'm about to give to you, you'll probably, uh... You'll probably use the term villainy if you speak about Juan Williams in the left anytime in the near future. Juan Williams, token black, that's my opinion, for the opinion section of Fox News. And on the surface, he's a really nice guy. But man, when he crawls into the closet or his office or wherever he writes his opinions, he goes hard, hard, hard left. 
So he wrote this New Year's Day last weekend. Here's what he said. It's New Year's Day. Get ready for the shock and awe of record political spending in 2024. That's the only sure bet as the world of politics flips the calendar. But what's New Year's Day without some high-wire predictions? Here are your crystal ball forecast, beginning with a look at the future for the political players who will define 2024. Ron DeSantis, sorry, Ron, it just didn't work out. Turn back the clock one year this week. The 45-year-old Florida governor was holding the hottest hand in politics. He was being hailed as the future of the GOP and hauled in a boatload of money from big-dollar GOP donors opposed to former President Donald Trump. But DeSantis tried to run as a Trump imitator. He bet big on culture wars, banning abortion in Florida after six weeks of pregnancy, and approving new standards requiring that schools teach that slaves gain skills for personal benefit. Recent history has shown that governors who failed to win their party's presidential nomination fade into obscurity. That looks to be DeSantis' future. The lesson of his demise is that GOP voters want a showman more than a doer. And he want, who wants a tribute band when the real band, Trump, is still touring? And then Nikki Haley. A look into the 2024 crystal ball shows Haley about to defy forecast of a year ago and finish in a tight race with DeSantis to become the leading GOP alternative to Trump. A second place finish in Iowa opens up the possibility of Haley beating Trump in New Hampshire. She remains unlikely to beat him for the nomination, but she will have delegates and some leverage at the Republican convention in Milwaukee this summer. Haley has said she will support Trump if he is the nominee and has refused to agree with a New Hampshire voter who pressed her to call Trump a grave danger to our country. She is positioning herself as the post-Trump future of the party. Now, this is Juan Williams writing this editorial a week ago. Abortion. Every election and every poll leading into this year's congressional and presidential races confirms that voters support abortion rights. Even Republicans opposed to abortion can read the 2023 tea leaves showing them getting clobbered on abortion rights from Kansas to Ohio and Virginia. Forget the crystal ball and just read the polls. By every metric, abortion is likely to lead Democrats back to control of the House majority, and even possibly increase their Senate majority. Democrats have a long history as the pro-choice party. This year, they can point to their support for keeping abortion as a private matter and away from politics as one of their bedrock principles. All signs indicate the electoral rewards will be there. And then Kamala Harris. She's set to become the comeback kid of 2024. 
After all the bad press, the first female vice president is proving to be a campaign asset. She can fire up core liberal voters, beginning with women, people of color, young voters, and college-educated voters. Those are the voters that Democrats are targeting for high turnout in swing states, from Pennsylvania to Wisconsin, states they need to win in November. Her standing as the first black, first female, and first Indian American vice president gives her unique traction as Democrats face a Republican Party dominated by white men and by Trump. Hmm. I thought Trump was a white man. Never mind. The former president has attacked New York's attorney general, a black woman, as a racist. He has called Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan district attorney, an animal. And he speaks about immigrants of color as poisoning the blood of our country. With polls showing Democrats facing the possibility of a poor turnout for minority voters, the vice president could be a game-changing presidential running mate. Joe Biden, slow and steady, wins the race, Juan Williams says. Before the first vote in Iowa, Biden has a lock on the Democratic nomination. Unlike Trump, Biden is not facing 91 felony charges and four court dates. He's not facing removal from state ballots over his role in the January 6th effort to stop certification of a presidential election. Biden's biggest challenge now looks to come from third-party candidates who could drain his support among moderate swing voters. They are looking for someone new, some political energy beyond a rerun of the 2020 election. Also, some voters are indifferent to Biden. According to polls, he's seen as a moderate figure who has not transformed a politically polarized nation. That has contributed to his low approval numbers in 2023. But those polls will be out the door in a one-on-one 2024 rematch with Trump. Trump's on the record, calling for termination of parts of the Constitution and replacing it with authoritarianism complete with jailing the press and rooting out his political opponents, whom he calls vermin. The Democrats have the power to make this year's race into a referendum on Trump rather than Biden. With the stock market up, unemployment down, wages rising, inflation slowing, and the U.S. standing tall against Russia and China. Biden has a record to persuade swing voters. I just threw up a little bit in my mouth reading that. Where's Juan living these days? He continues, there are no crystal balls, but based on last year's political weather, you don't have to be a weatherman to know which way the wind is blowing for 2024. Thank you. Thank you, Juan Williams, for straightening out those of us who live on the other side of the tracks. Now, wait a minute. That's a racial slam, Dan. Juan Williams is black. You can't say that. No. We live on the other side of the tracks, the poor side of the tracks. If all of what you just heard Juan Williams has said 
Kamala Harris and Uncle Joe, they gave everybody they thought and they act like are the disenfranchised people of the world, you know, those people that Republicans hate. God bless. This guy and these people, they actually believe this drivel. We could spend the whole rest of the show analyzing the bits and pieces of that editorial pen by Juan Williams. He must have been sleepy when he wrote that. Oh, my gosh. He hit a few of the things that he said in here. He hit a few of them on the head. This one just blows me away. Kamala Harris, she is set to become the comeback kid of 2024. Oh, my gosh. After the, all the bad press, he said, the first female VP is proving to be a campaign asset. Listen, if you guys believe that, go ahead and believe it. This is Dan talking now. Let me make a little prognostication to you. Have you seen Kamala lately? Have you seen her out on the stump with Joe Biden? Have you heard anybody in the administration, Corinne Jean-Pierre, anybody say anything good about Kamala and what's going on there and how great a campaign partner she is for Joe Biden? Nobody's even talking about her. You know why? They're kicking her to the curb right now. But they got to be careful how they do it. You know why? Not because she's a great fit. Not because she's done anything worthy of being back on the ticket for another run as vice president. Not because of any of that. They wouldn't have to be careful about that if that's what they were talking about. They've got to be careful about kicking her to the curb because she's black and she's female, and you can't do that if you're a Democrat. She's not going to be on the ticket, even if Joe's going to be on the ticket. Whoa, you're getting in some deep water, Dan. Let me tell you where the 2024 Democrat election circus is slowly moving toward. You may throw up a little bit in your mouth when I tell you this. Even if it happens at the Democrat convention, I promise you this is in the offing. 2024 Democrat presidential candidate, Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama. They today will tell you very quietly, off the record. I love that when I talk to a politician and they ask me when we're talking and I ask them a question, is this on the record or off the record? In other words, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. You can't say it because it wouldn't be politically correct for me quoting me saying that. They won't say anything about that now, but you watch what begins to happen right now. Real, hard-thinking, educated Democrats in leadership in the party. They see Michelle Obama as the only thing that will work. Oh, they're still all in on Joe. And everybody on the other side of the aisle, I, I, I hear this happen all the time now. I'm not a Republican, I'm an independent, but most of my friends in politics 
In fact, almost all my friends in politics are Republicans and conservatives, just like me. I just don't have that R. I'm registered with an I after my name. I'm I'm one of those independents. All that being said, they're all pretty much laughing. There is no way America's going to reelect Joe Biden. You're right. But it's going to be a battle. Nancy Pelosi's still alive, folks. What does that mean about this part of this conversation? She's on the inside of the inside of the inside of the Democrat Party leadership in D.C. Nobody does anything politically that's a Democrat if it doesn't first go by and get approved by Nancy Pelosi. I don't think Nancy Pelosi ever had one little positive thing in her heart for Kamala Harris, but she adores Michelle Obama. And you know what? Those of you that are shuddering right now for my saying that, and listen, this is an early prediction. I'm saying this because I've looked at 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2, and I know what that comes out to be. And if you look at what comprises all those twos in that equation, that's all I can come up with. I can see a lot of people on the campaign trail, a lot of people, African-American people, well thought of, well loved, well liked by people on both sides of the aisle. Can you imagine Oprah and what she would do if Michelle Obama runs? There is no telling how much money will flood Democrat Party campaign coffers because realistic Democrats in America today, they... They don't think Joe Biden is the guy, and they think, most of them think, he shouldn't be the guy. But if he turns out to be the guy, there's no way he's going to win. So did I make you sick at your stomach? (laughs) Oh, man, I hope not. But you know what? A lot of things happen in our lives that we necessarily don't want, don't like. Sometimes things are out of our uh, purview of the ability to determine an outcome, but we still got to live with them. So I hope I didn't spoil your weekend by making that prediction for you, but that's the only situation as far as uh, Democrat Party candidates for 2024. The only one I think that has a even remote chance to win. That's just my two cents. Talking with you, not at you. Intelligent Conversation. TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running, and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342, 529-8342. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive, yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. 
Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an Infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Hey, friend, don't obsess over what I said. That's just my opinion. Uh, even though I think I uh, I get a sense about politics and po- specific political races uh, that I can feel a little more confident about. Not because I'm smarter than you. Absolutely, I'm not. In fact, I'm not that smart. But what I do is spend a lot of time analyzing information in detail and conversations and predictions and statistics on politics. And I hate to even think of that happening. But Democrats politically very seldom are stupid. And when it comes to candidates to run for specific races with a D after their name, local, state, federal, they usually make the right choices. Not always, but usually. And I think this choice for this election to run as Democrat, to run for the presidency, right now, where we are right now, I don't think anybody that we're even talking about running is going to be able to to beat Donald Trump, or even if Donald Trump is not the Republican choice, especially if Joe Biden's on the ticket. They're not going to go down without swinging, swinging like they never have before. They have too much at stake. Don't think for a second these millions of illegals that they have opened the door and welcomed in, open arms, we're going to pay for everything they say we are. We as not Democrats, it's Americans. We're going to pay for everything to make it okay for you, and we need you to come here. You heard the analysis early on by Tucker Carlson, and he laid it out, one, two, three, four, five. Here's what's going on and why. And if you missed that, you need to go back and get today's podcast from your favorite podcast hosting site, TNN Live, and listen to at least the first segment of the show where Tucker Carlson described and gave us proof of what's going on regarding our illegal immigration and why. But you know what? There's other bad stuff going on. Representative Bob Good, a Republican from Virginia, he's chairman of the conservative House Freedom Caucus. He talked about yesterday, and it blew my mind. I know we spend a bunch of crazy money in the United States, But Good described the improper payments of our government. Listen to this. The feds made $236 billion 
more than a quarter of a trillion in improper payments last year. Now, I knew we wasted a lot of money, but I didn't think it was this bad. The GAO, that's the Government Accountability Office, they reported that $236 billion worth of improper payments made under the Biden administration in 2023 alone more than doubled the amount in fiscal year 2013. According to the GAO, the potential waste, fraud, and abuse runs across the spectrum of every federal agency. Since 03, that's 20 years ago, there have been more than $2.4 trillion of improper payments made across the federal government, and that number does not include the fiscal year 2023 amount. So $2.4 trillion since 2003. That's 20 years. You do the math. Joe Biden, he oversaw 10% of that whole number in just one year as president. The government watchdog defines improper payments as payments that should not have been made or were made in the incorrect amount and says they have consistently been a government-wide issue despite the efforts to identify their root causes and reduce them. In fact, the government still doesn't fully understand the size of federal improper payments, partly because it doesn't have complete, reliable, or accurate estimates. In other words, quarter of a trillion could be, oh, I don't know, two trillion. They could come up with the number, but they don't have all the facts. Fiscal year 2022, the amount of improper payments was 247 billion dollars. The U.S. government programs that typically account for the most improper payments include Medicare, Medicaid, earned income tax credit, and Social Security. The White House published a blog post on November 22nd, a couple of months ago. It explains that the federal government's overall rate of improper payments has gone down in fiscal year 2023. That year in was September 30th. The post didn't include the government-wide total as a dollar amount. Just the News reached out to the Office of Management and Budget, asked for the government-wide total of improper payments made from fiscal year 2023. The total amount, as reported by the agencies, fiscal year 2023, $236 billion, we will have a report analyzing this estimate issued in the next month or two. But for the time being, the public can view individual data sets that show the amount of improper payments made across a large group of federal programs issuing payments to recipients. Go get the facts. You can click on a website. It's called Data Sets, D A T A. S-E-T-S, data sets. Look it up. You can get all the details. Representative Good, chairman of the conservative House Freedom Caucus, described these payments as more evidence demonstrating Washington, D.C. is broken. You think? Come on now. This is just more evidence, he said, that D.C. is broken. Too many career politicians and bureaucrats don't care They don't care about how they waste our dollars. We are $34 trillion in debt, 
and will be over $36 trillion in debt before the current debt limit deal ends next January. We cannot afford to wait any longer to stop the runaway spending train and get our fiscal house in order. I'll go back to this. We have right now, Congress, two appropriation deadlines at the end of this month and into early February. Both the House and the Senate must pass another spending bill to keep our government funded, and those negotiations, we're told they're underway among congressional leaders, but they tell us that every day. You ask them, any of them, on either side of the aisle, where do we stand? And they all point fingers at everybody on the other side. The national debt recently surpassed the $34 trillion number for the first time in our history. More than 13 years ago, former President Obama signed the Improper Payments Elimination and Recovery Act, had a goal of reducing improper payments by $50 billion through 2012. At the time, those improper payments were $110 billion. That was fiscal year 09 compared to $236 billion in fiscal year 2023. According to a Congressional Research Service report that was published back in 2018, there was a significant increase in improper payments from fiscal year 07 to fiscal year 2010, followed by a slight decrease through fiscal year 2013, another increase through 2016, and a slight decrease in 2017. But the decreased number in 2017 was still $141 billion that year. This report also says a small subset of programs has accounted for 85 to 98% of the government's total improper payments each year. So with that as the footnote of this, do you trust that our elected officials and the United States Congress, both parties, both sides of the aisle, you add that to who's sitting in the White House Oval Office, they don't care about only spending the money we have. And you know why they don't care? Because we're the ones that pay the bill. That makes it real easy to make a commitment to spend money if you're not the one that has to pay for it. Now, if you think that $34 trillion is a big number, let me tell you what that does not include. Unfunded liabilities. You know what those are? This money that's owed, that it's not funded yet, but at some point it's going to have to be. What would be the number one, two, and three part of the unfunded liabilities of the United States that aren't included in the $34 trillion debt limit number we have now. What could those possibly be? Well, I'm 70 years old. I started working and having payroll deductions when I was 14. That means every time I got a paycheck, there was a deduction that went to Social Security another one that went to Medicare. So I contributed. Supposedly, we were told, or our grandparents were told when they set up those government agencies that all that money they deducted would be deposited in an account and kept there 
And on top of that, whatever was taken out of my check, the government would deposit the equal same amount in that account of mine, and it was to be all saved and put in accounts for us to use when we needed them, when we retired for Medicare and for Social Security. Today, they called it the Social Security Trust Fund. There's a name for that, but the money's not there. Congress spends it. So if the money's not there, it is a liability. The government takes money from you and me, and they supposedly save it for us to use when we retire. That is what is called an unfunded liability. We're going to have to pay for it. Don't have the money. We had it, but we spent it. So you know what the estimated unfunded liabilities today are? On their own, $80 trillion. $80 trillion. And experts say that may be short. I'm not trying to make you sick today by telling you these things. But you know what? If we can't do anything about it, which we can only do our little bitty part, which is to continue to do the right things, we can pray. We can cajole our lawmakers to stop this crazy spending. Because if it doesn't happen, it's going to continue to roll on and add up. And you know how much interest is. You know we're paying about a trillion dollars a year just on the debt for the money that we borrowed. We borrowed for spending all of this wasteful stuff on top of the stuff that it should be being spent on. If they would just curb the overages of the money that is supposed to be spent in certain ways, if they would just stop that, it would, in long term, take care of the problems. Why don't they do it? Boy, that's the million-dollar question. That really is. Well, we've got a lot of other things that we want to cover. And so I want to go to one very important topic that if it's not you, it's certainly me. I've always had this strange thing about batteries, batteries. If you know anything about Northwest Louisiana, we had for years, right on I-20, if you're driving across the United States on Interstate 20, when you go through downtown Shreveport, right before you get to the Texas-Louisiana border, look to your left. There's an empty building out there, and that was a Ford battery plant. It was the only one Ford had at the time. Now, what do we need a battery plant for? Well, batteries don't last forever, as you know, and we got to do something with those batteries after they're no good anymore. So what were we doing at the Ford battery plant? Well, they were making batteries, but they were also taking in bad batteries and basically piling them up out back. And even worse than that, back in the 70s, In the 80s, they were digging holes, big, deep holes, and putting old batteries in those big, deep holes. And, of course, the earth all around that place is contaminated permanently. But we've really gotten smart with battery technology. I mean, after all, Joe Biden has put us in the perfect place 
to do away with natural gas and oil and everything that is carbon-related as fuel. And we're turning toward, well, we found out that we got trouble going with our wind uh, wind energy uh, creation. We told you that story early on. But we still have solar. But in the meantime, we've got a bunch of EVs, electric vehicles running around. And they require batteries, big batteries. So what are we doing with all of that stuff? What are we doing now when the big batteries, the car batteries, even the flashlight batteries, how are we handling, dealing with the contaminated stuff that is deadly serious and poison to the earth? Listen to this. So I have some questions. What happens to the lithium batteries inside of your cell phone at the end of its life? What happens to the lithium batteries inside of your tools? And most importantly, what happens to the lithium batteries inside of electric vehicles? Are they thrown in landfills? Are they recycled? A lot of questions to be answered. Let's get started. Today I'm in Gilbert, Arizona with a company called Lycycle, North America's leading lithium-ion battery recycler. They can do the small batteries, but they specialize in the super-large EV battery packs, and the process is fascinating. A lot of the batteries you see here on the conveyor belt are intact, but Lycycle does take burn damage and recalled batteries. Basically, batteries in any state can be recycled using this process. Among our selection of batteries today, it looks like we have cell phone batteries, laptop batteries, tool batteries, even some power banks. The biggest battery of all, of course, though, is the electric car battery sitting right here on the conveyor. Electric car batteries weigh thousands of pounds. Getting them up and onto the conveyor is a job all by itself. So to prep you for what's happening here, we have the EV battery pack going up the conveyor belt to this funnel right here. The entire funnel, you know, the whole tower, is full of a proprietary liquid with a massive submerged industrial shredder at the bottom. I even found an old Nokia battery, a relic from times gone by. See you later, buddy. Hope you end up in an electric vehicle. There are a lot of materials inside the modules. We have the metal casing, we have the plastic interiors that hold all the modules steady, and of course we have the lithium, cobalt, and nickel inside of the batteries themselves. There's a lot to collect. One of the benefits of having the whole battery pack go into the shredder is that no one is required to disassemble the pack. Keeping the human operator safe is probably the most important part. After the batteries are ground up, they go from a charged state to a completely inert state. There is no electricity in the materials after the blender. It's getting kind of loud, but you can see the flowing through here down to a screen where the plastics get vibrated up. To this chute here, where they're dropped down into a recycling bag for further processing. But you're probably not here to see how the plastic is separated from the battery. We're here to see what happens to the lithium, the cobalt, and the other precious metals. After the electric vehicle battery is dropped into the shredder, it gets ground up into small metal flakes, which sink to the bottom of the tank and get conveyored up and out of the liquid like you're seeing here. Coming out of the vibrator, we have aluminum, steel, and copper, and sometimes even some sweet metals that come off the circuit boards. 
like gold, platinum, and palladium, all collected in bags to be recycled later. With how valuable and useful these internal materials are, no one should be throwing them in a landfill. The way the cobalt and lithium are extracted from that proprietary liquid inside the shredder machine is with something called a filter press. The metal-rich liquid is pumped into the large blue press, and that proprietary liquid is hydraulically squeezed out, leaving behind something called black mass on each of the individual filters. The black mass is what's falling down the chute as each of the filters are shaken, and is what contains all of our coveted elements. The black mass has been valuable enough to be called the new gold. It really is the most valuable part of this entire process and what Lifecycle is after. It's a vital ingredient in making new batteries. One of the coolest parts about this system is while they are using a ton of water inside, it is a closed loop system and none of that water ever leaves. It's not used up in any of the reactions. There's also no air pollutants in a traditional sense since nothing's being burned. After the batteries have been shredded, sorted, filtered, and pressed, we're left with these three commodities here. We have the middle bag, which is full of plastics that came from floating off the top of the liquid. Then over here, we have the aluminum and copper shred, which sank down to the bottom. And lastly, we have our coveted black mass. And this is where we find the cobalt, the lithium, and the nickel. It feels a lot like black mud. The elemental metals can be infinitely recycled and 95% of the batteries that go through this system are collected in one of these three bags. Lithium batteries are extremely recyclable and Lifecycle's doing it right here in Arizona. It's like a bunch of forbidden chocolate. The batteries are collected here in the United States, recycled here in the United States, and probably made into brand new batteries using this right here in the United States. Super fun seeing this process. I do have to fly home though, so I'm not taking this with me. Right here in Arizona is an above ground lithium mine that's processing batteries instead of earth. It generates 70% less emissions recycling and reusing the battery than it would be if we were mining it straight from the earth the first time around. This Lifecycle spoke in Arizona has the ability to process up to 18,000 tons worth of lithium-ion battery material every single year. The black mass will go onto Lifecycle's Rochester hub facility in New York, which is currently under construction. The black mass gets processed right back into valuable battery-grade materials like lithium carbonate, nickel sulfate, and cobalt sulfate. Hit that subscribe button if you want to see how that happens. The Rochester hub is expected to be the largest source of recycled lithium carbonate in North America. At this point in the video, you're probably asking yourself, hey Jerry, but what am I supposed to do with my drawer full of old cell phones and batteries I haven't recycled yet? And I have the answer for you. 89% of the population here in the United States lives within 10 miles of a call to recycle drop-off location. Most often found in Home Depot, Lowe's, Staples, or Office Max, old batteries and cell phones go in and they're shipped to a recycling place just like this, so they can be turned into your next cell phone or next EV. So now if you see someone online suggesting that lithium batteries are thrown into landfills or not recycled, this would be a good video you can share with them. It's a pretty fascinating process. So, <laughs> I, I bet you didn't tune in thinking you were going to hear about battery recycling. Let me just say this. What you just heard, it falls into the category of what the heck 
are we doing? What's our government doing? What's our president doing? What are the recycling batteries and everything else for green energy purposes? What are they really after? And I studied this. Believe me, when I when I put something on the air on this show like you just heard, it's not just the fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants um, determination I made. When I saw this, I said, you know what? There is so much emphasis by this government and the surrounding climatologists who really think they are climatologists, which is a professional climate person, and 99 and 9 tenths percent of these people are not one of those, but they put themselves out there to be and tell us, hey, I know what I'm talking about. When it comes to batteries, I'm the go-to kind of guy for information. Electric vehicles, I'm the guy. Now, these are the guys that they came up with that Inflation Reduction Act. You know, that's Joe Biden's one of his great legislative accomplishments. You know, he was going to make everything be green energy, functioning and operating off green, clean energy instead of those evil fossil fuels. And, of course, electric vehicles. That's his go-to thing. There is no telling how many, how many real tens of billions of dollars you and I as taxpayers have spent at the behest of this administration that are worthless. They're going to nothing because electric vehicles aren't panning out. Joe Biden can call his push for EVs and laugh about it when he leaves office, just like his old boss, Barack Obama, did when he came up with all that money, tens of billions of dollars, and he created these green energy opportunities and had all of these shovel-ready jobs. You remember that phrase? This is all ready to go. We get the money, we're going to spend it because all of these green energy opportunities are working. Of all of those green energy opportunities and the billions that Obama spent, he laughed about it on camera. And he said this exact phrase, well, I guess these jobs weren't shovel ready after all. <laughs> and he laughed. EVs in the United States aren't going to happen. Oh, they'll always be around in some degree to some degree. And yeah, they have batteries. A lot of those and the parts and elements can be recycled and used again. That's a good thing. But let me tell you why it won't work in a Biden world. $6 billion of that Investment Reduction Act, uh, Inflation Reduction, I'm sorry, Inflation Reduction Act, $6 billion of it was earmarked to make sure we had electric charging stations all along our major highways nationwide, North, south, east, west, everywhere. $6 billion worth. And so the production for electric vehicles, subsidized by, of course, you and I, it went through the roof. Tens of billions of dollars, all the major automakers. Tesla, of course, has always been there. But guess what? The $6 billion for the 
Inflation Reduction Act that was earmarked for these charging stations has built not one of those charging stations. So what does that mean? Automakers are building and buying and selling electric vehicles. Americans are buying them, but they can't even drive from Shreveport, Louisiana to Dallas, Texas without digging and finding, if they're lucky, a charging station. And they got to go to the charging station because they're out of juice. And they're going to sit there for two hours to get enough juice to finish their track. By the way, it's 200 miles from Shreveport to Dallas, Texas on Interstate 20, one that's supposed to be flooded with government taxpayer paid dollars, $6 billion that was to be used to build these charging stations. You know what they call that? Politics. And in this regard and many other ways, politics suck. Raid shadow legends. I mean, <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian. They're spooky. They're um, um, big. And then you go to battle. And it's like, <laughs> and finally, your foe is vanquished. And that satisfaction is such a primal feeling. Ooh, Download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free. At Akio, we've been making the best in mobile phones for over 20 years. How did we get there? By putting ringtones in every commercial that make you think your phone is ringing. Whether you have a new phone, an old phone, or just leave it on vibrate, we make sure you always hear your phone in our commercials. It's our way of saying, we hear you. So don't be silenced when opportunity calls, pick it up. It's for you. Akio Mobile. Five years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began. Nobody was baby in the corner. This is the real Dirty Dance. Yeah. Eight celebrities compete to become the real Baby and Johnny. Where my Johnny is? Some will rise. Some will fall. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event starts Tuesday at 9 on Fox 5. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. The guest bedroom slash music studio. The day bed slash dog bed. The living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. talked at all today about the Israel-Hamas war that is still going on every day. You know, what I don't understand is why when we were talking about it ad nauseum 24-7 for week after week after week, now it's hardly even mentioned in newscasts. I wonder why that is. Just saying. Well, we do have some news this morning coming out. Colonel Elad Gorin, who is head of Israel's Civil Department of the Coordination of Government Activities in the Territories, he told some reporters early this morning that the humanitarian situation in the Gaza Strip has stabilized and that there is enough food 
entering the area, thankfully. He was talking to reporters in the wake of concerns that have been expressed in the media about the possibility of famine in Gaza as a result of this war between Israel and Hamas. Before the war, he said, there was an average of 70 trucks carrying food entering Gaza every day. Normal transportation of food into that particular geographical area of Israel. The average this week was 109 trucks. In other words, it was 70 in normal times. Now it's 39 more every day. He said the trucks were providing, for example, 2 million loaves of pita bread every day. Overall, he said over 126,000 tons of aid have entered Gaza, delivered on over 7,100 trucks. In addition to that, he said five field hospitals have been built and put together and are operational, concentrated in the southwestern part of the Gaza Strip, and incubators and vaccines have been provided for all of Israel, as well as medical evacuation other countries where necessary for emergency or specialized treatment. He said an organization, a big one, part of the UN, made connections between UN humanitarian agencies and the owners of these trucks in Gaza that deliver the the aid. Israel was also working to develop additional storage facilities for aid and to build more shelter for civilians in the Al-Mawasi area, the safe zone that's established by Israel in southwestern Gaza in the first couple of weeks of the war. Gorin said that despite voices saying there needed to be more aid delivered to Gaza, he said there is a sufficient amount of food in Gaza. We continue to push the humanitarian agencies to collect more trucks and to distribute them. The bottlenecks are not on the Israeli side, he argued. Israel has not and will not stand in the way of providing humanitarian aid to the people that are not part of terror. Rather, there needs to be improved distribution of this aid. For example, he said, there was a desperate need for a QR code system to be used to monitor the progress of aid distribution inside of Gaza and said that international organizations had told Israel they don't have that ability to receive the aid that has been processed at crossing points into Gaza, partly because of a lack of of staff. The organizations desperately need to increase their capabilities. Even if the amount of aid is sent is doubled, it's no use if the organizations don't have the ability to receive and distribute it. Now, I thought it would be, because we haven't heard anything about the humanitarian aid processes very early on, those aid trucks that were coming in from Egypt in way south, they were being stolen. Literally, the, the trucks and the convoys were being stolen. But they got that worked out, but we haven't heard much about it. But you can't do good if you don't have the whole chain of supply figured out and implemented. Doesn't matter how much you got ready to put into the pipeline. If you can't get it into the pipeline and from there to where it needs to go. Oh, well, it's war. 
Stuff happens, right? Something came out overnight that really intrigued me. You're going to find this hard to believe. The FDA, one of the least favorite administrations for me in the United States government, probably many of you too. The FDA, surprisingly, shockingly to me, they've given permission to Florida to be the first state that's allowed to import less expensive medications from Canada. This is a major policy shift that could allow Americans to access cheaper versions of drugs that cost thousands of dollars. So while people here in the U.S. are allowed to make direct purchases from Canada, the decision that the FDA said they are making will make Florida the first state to be allowed to buy less expensive drugs in bulk from Canadian wholesalers for U.S. government clinics, prisons, and even Medicaid programs. So in making their case to the FDA, Florida said and claimed critical prescription drugs in the state can cost nearly $400 for one pill, putting a big burden on patients who need life-saving drugs. And the U.S., I think you know this, we all do, we have some of the highest prescription drug costs in the world. Prices, 218% of those available in the country's neighbor to the north. For name brand, non-generic versions of medications, the expense is three times the Canadian prices, meaning drugs in Canada are only 46% and 34% respectively the cost of American medications. By importing Canadian drugs, Florida officials estimate the state could save $150 million in the first year. So, which drugs are you talking about? Drugs to be imported in the beginning of the partnership going to include those to treat HIV, AIDS, diabetes, hepatitis C, and even some psychiatric conditions. Colorado, Maine, New Hampshire, New Mexico, North Dakota, Texas, Vermont, and Wisconsin all have laws already allowing importation of drugs, some having applied for the same permission from the FDA that they just gave to Florida. The states have yet to receive a response from this federal drug agency. So while the decision is win-win-win, Florida can expect significant pushback from who? Here we go. Lobbying groups and drug manufacturers. (laughs) Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, that's the big lobbying group. For short, it's PHRMA. They have filed a lawsuit challenging past importation efforts, and it is expected any day now to sue once again to stop Florida from enacting its plan. Now, I don't need to go any deeper in this story other than to say this. Why the heck are the same drugs that in most cases are manufactured here in the United States by Big Pharma. Why are they three times more expensive here at your pharmacy than they are in Canada? And it's not just in Canada, it's in countries around the world. Do you know that the major pharmaceutical products 
that you and I use across the board and Americans everywhere and around the world, we pay more for each and every one of them, and in many cases, three times more than any other country. And just dial back the calendar a few years. You remember when we were grasping, we've got to get COVID-19 vaccinations. Oh, we're going to die. We're going to lose everybody. Federal government stepped up to all the big farmer, Moderna, Pfizer, and we paid them hundreds of billion dollars for those medications. Is there something in this that just sounds a little off to you? Boy, it sure does to me. And nobody will give us a logical explanation. And the reason is money. Big pharma. Money. Like they don't have enough money. Some of the wealthiest people on the planet got wealthy by being and owning pieces of big pharmacy companies. And I don't want to diminish the pharmacy companies because they have kept and given life and years to live more and more and more to Americans and other people around the world. In many cases, they're doing good jobs. But why the heck do they have massive lobbyist firms that line K Street in Washington, D.C.? Lobbying firms, that's a misnomer. It's a law firm. And it's people that are paid to do one thing. Lobby lawmakers in the Senate, in the House, and also the White House regarding anything and everything Big Pharma wants. Why the heck do you think we'd be paying as much as three, four times for the same drugs we manufacture here? We're paying that here when you just go across the border into Canada and you buy the same drug, prescription drug, four times cheaper than you do 25 miles away. Does that make sense to you? Who could stop that? Well, who puts every regulation in place across the United States, the federal government? Joe Biden could do it. I mean, you know, they're screaming and hollering about Donald Trump wanting to be a dictator, and he's going to bring, you heard the piece we did, I I gave you that editorial that Juan Williams wrote talking about Donald Trump. He's going to destroy all kinds of, of freedoms and liberties that we have in the United States if he's elected again, and he wants to be a dictator slash authoritarian with authoritarianism as our government structure. We're living in that right now under Joe Biden. He writes checks for anything that he wants to. He spends tax dollars without Congress being involved at all. Much of that is going to be challenged in courts But Joe even bragged about this fact. At the beginning of this administration, he kept being asked about it, and he kind of snickered in an interview, and he said, look, we're going to go ahead and do it because we think that's what's best for the American people, and yeah, we'll get challenged, and we'll probably lose when these issues get to court. But by then, it'll be too late. 
It'll take years for that to happen, and we'll already have spent the money. Isn't that cool? And I exaggerated a little there, but that's exactly what's going on. If our government wanted to take care of us regarding anything and everything to do with health, they'd get it straight. They know the truth. We know the truth. They don't care what you think or I think. They're going to do exactly what they want to do. Why? Because in most cases, they're getting paid out the wazoo to put these issues up there and keep Big Pharma from lowering the prices to you and me, making us pay as much as three and four times more than they do in Canada, and even more than that locally in the United States than other countries in the world. The love of money is the root of all evil. We haven't even talked about today anything to do with impeachment, anything to do with Trump's Supreme Court cases. That doesn't mean they're not out there. And it certainly doesn't mean we're not going to talk about it. We got a little bit of new stuff, important information on that. Up next. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, grass fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food, with no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids, only at Carl's Jr. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Sorry. Here we go, from the top, and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko, so... Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh, for over 75 years. <laughs> Keep it together. I'm good, I'm good. <clears throat> For over 70. <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico, saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me, don't look at me. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize. Your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Before we leave the topic of uh, government, government and all of the issues that we deal with every day, shaking our head, we don't get answers, they don't care to give us answers, and they don't give a rip what we think. I'm talking about, of course, the people that are doing all of these things, the government. Looking over your shoulder back at a previous administration where a real conservative served eight years as the head of our government and made some great things happen 
for the good of the people. One of the best administrations that I can think of in my lifetime, Ronald Reagan. Often during his tenure in our government, he made some very salient and important observations about our government and our government spending, how and why we do what we do and how and why we don't do what we should be doing. Here's the Gipper himself. Why shouldn't we also have a law that says that any time a legislator or a congressman introduces a spending program, he has to introduce with it a tax program to pay for it? Then let the people find out. There was a woman from a financial firm that was back at the President's Economic Council, and this woman said that you go to the polls and you ask the people, do they want some social service, some program that government can give? And the people in the polls are apt to read and say, hey, that sounds good, yeah. Mm-hmm. But she says that isn't exactly accurate. She says put a $100 bill in each person's hand and then show them the program and say, now, isn't that a nice program? Do you want it? Give me the $100. And she says, see what the poll says then and how many people hang on to the $100 instead of the program. In other words, if it's rather hidden and someone doesn't know exactly yeah. where it's going to come from. They all start, all the government programs start a dollar down and we'll catch you later. A dollar down and we'll catch you later. Hey, I got to take issue with the Gipper there, President Reagan. We don't even get a dollar down. Our government just says, don't worry about paying for it. We got all the money in the world. We're the wealthiest nation on the planet. We're going to just borrow the money if we need to, but we're going to make it happen. And boy, they're borrowing the money, aren't they? I think it would be a wonderful idea. Just think, this is a really crazy idea that anybody, government or private, doesn't matter, just regular people, if we were restricted to going to the store or going to the car dealership or spending any of our money for anything that we wanted, we couldn't do it unless it was paid for, already paid for. And if we weren't the ones that paid for it, the money would come from some other place other than it being borrowed money. We should craft laws that prohibit the sellers of goods and services to provide those to anybody if the people that are buying it don't have the money to pay for it and can't borrow it. But that's exactly opposite what our government does, isn't it? We don't have a lot of time left in the show today. I wanted to talk a little bit about the latest on what's going on on the Trump on the ballot stuff. Former Assistant U.S. Attorney Andy McCarthy, he gave us a pretty ominous warning about Donald Trump's case in Colorado and Maine. McCarthy warned that the U.S. is going to turn into complete chaos ahead of the 2024 election if the Supreme Court fails to deliberate on those two cases, Colorado and Maine. The two states ruled to remove Trump from their primary ballot, citing Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Andy McCarthy said, well, I think they have to take the case. He was speaking to Martha McCallum at Fox News. And he said, I say that understanding that they are very reluctant to wade into the politics 
of the 2024 election. But you will truly have chaos and maybe two layers of chaos if this case isn't grappled with soon by the one court that can sort of put an end to all of the questions. Now, again, he was talking to Martha McCallum. She said the Supreme Court needs to settle two layers of the issue to answer whether Trump can be removed from the ballot in the primary and general elections. If you have that, she said, I think currently there are about 33 states where you can have some degree of litigation on this issue already. Multiply that by two if it really is going to be two layers, and then you have 50 states making ad hoc rules about which procedures have to be applied before somebody can be found guilty or this disqualification can attach to them under the 14th Amendment. You're going to have true chaos in the run-up to the election, McCarthy warned her. Now, you remember the Colorado Supreme Court ruled 4-3 to disqualify Trump from the state primary ballot. Maine Secretary of State herself, solo, not even a lawyer, she soon followed suit in a December 28th decision citing the 14th Amendment. And by the way, Donald Trump, even if he is guilty about it, he hadn't even been charged by anybody at any level for insurrection, which is Clause 3 of the 14th Amendment that a lot of people are saying proves Donald Trump was part of and probably initiated, they say, the insurrection on January 6th, which by definition wasn't an insurrection. It was a riot that went bad. Back to McCarthy. He said he's hopeful the court, the Supreme Court, will unanimously strike down the state's decisions and he anticipates some of the progressive justices to side with the conservative majority. He said the Supreme Court will not want to rule on whether Trump violated the 14th Amendment by engaging in insurrection during the January 6th, 2021 Capitol riot. The former U.S. attorney argued neither Trump nor any of his associates have even been charged and certainly not convicted of an insurrection related to the riot. So I think what the Supreme Court can say is there has to be a procedure where a court gets involved and a person accused of this gets due process. Now, that makes perfect sense to me. We live in a nation where there is the presumption of you're innocent unless and until you're proven to be guilty. This is not happening. And this is a really big deal. We're talking about somebody that is right now ahead in every poll when it comes to who is going to be the next president, who's going to win the 2024 presidential election. And they're talking about taking him away as a candidate for a lot of people in those states that would vote for him to be their president. McCarthy said, to my mind, it should be, if you're going to accuse somebody of insurrection, it should be a high level of due process like guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, where you have all the protections of a criminal trial. But I could easily see the court doing that, and then they don't have to rule on the merits of whether there was an insurrection and all that stuff. 
Can you, just for a second, think about this with me. Can you imagine a scenario where if it happens at the federal level, that means it's going to be okay at the state level and even the local level? So you get some Yahoo, maybe somebody that is totally backwards, and they decide they want to run for this local race, a really important race, maybe a sheriff or a mayor of a town or a city, and they're extreme on every level, and many people in that town or city don't like them and don't want them to be the one that's elected to that office, but they have a lot of followers, maybe a movie star, somebody they see around town all the time. You can imagine a million scenarios this would apply to. And so you get a bunch of, oh, I don't know, social experts in this town. And they all come together and say, we don't like him or we don't like her. We don't want her. And oh my gosh, if this election goes through, she could possibly be the winner or he could possibly be the winner and we don't want that to happen. And so they convince somebody in the election department that has a little power to just say, hey, we're not going to let him run. We're not going to let her run. Their names aren't even going to be on the ballot. That would happen across the United States, in every single election for any office, local, state, or federal, we would devolve in one decision to being literally from now on a banana republic where the mob rules every time there's an election. Talk about chaos now. (laughs) And we are living in some real election chaos every day. I know people that wake up every morning and the first thing they want to do is find out the latest on Trump's availability to be on ballots across the United States for 2024. Many are petrified that he won't be allowed to run and that Joe Biden or whoever is going to be the Democrat candidate is just going to walk into office and we're going to have at least four more years of this crap we're living through. And government now, especially politics and government, nothing has to be real or valid or truthful or good for it to come to pass and being put in place. It doesn't have to make any sense whatsoever. Look what is going on out in California. That's just one one place. Much of America's future is made, tested, and more often than not in recent years, fails, fails first in California. Gavin Newsom, California's Democrat governor, he just announced California is going to begin providing health care coverage to an additional paltry three quarters of a million illegal immigrants on the top of the 1.1 million already involved enrolled in and receiving care under Medi-Cal, which is what California calls their Medicaid system. More than one-third of California's shrinking population of 39 million is already enrolled in the Medi-Cal Medicaid program. 
California has been incrementally adding illegal immigrants to the Medi-Cal program since 2015. That was the year it made the undocumented children eligible. Four years later, it added adults 50 and over. The latest expansion round adds those aged 26 to 49, and it's going to cost an estimated, that's no big deal, $3.1 billion to California taxpayers. That's about $4,058 a year in medical coverage subsidies from the state general fund for those residing in California illegally in this age cohort. Who's going to pay for it? California, the state will. Well, where do they get their money? They get it from taxpayers. Taxpayers, big dollar taxpayers are fleeing from California, and guess what they take with them when they go? Their money. They're taking companies. They're taking personal families in droves because of this very thing. In California, overall, Medi-Cal consumes the largest portion of California's half a trillion dollar budget with the federal government chipping in, by the way, about $90 billion for health in the state, about $40 billion from its general fund. California's Democrat leadership, they've sought to use its Medi-Cal program as a means to gradually move to universal health insurance coverage. They argued that since federal law mandates every hospital provide emergency care services to everyone, regardless of immigration status or their ability to pay, it's less costly and more efficient to expand Medi-Cal coverage. Now, what would that look like? Well, here's an example. An audit completed in Texas back in 2021. It found that hospitals in the Lone Star State they spent up to $717 million to provide uncompensated hospital service for 1.6 million illegal immigrants. This amounts to as much as $448 per person annually, a cost that ends up being socialized to other hospital users. But Medi-Cal coverage doesn't equal care. It's mind-numbing. California thinks itself a white knight for healthcare justice. That's Tanner Alif, who's the policy director for the Right on Healthcare at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. He continued, yet the state has failed to realize its Medicaid for All campaign has ironically reduced healthcare access for low income folks living in rural counties. Between 2016 and 2019, California's rural counties saw a drastic drop in the number of doctors who accept Medicaid. Why would they not accept it? They can't afford it. Making things worse, in 2023, the California Hospital Association, they claimed 20% of the hospitals are at the brink of closure because of losses from Medi-Cal. Medicaid is putting providers out of business. Then there's no point giving people taxpayer-funded Medicaid cards if there's nowhere to use them. But California is facing a mammoth, already $68 billion budget deficit. $68 billion with a B, meaning 
Governor Newsom and the Democrats' supermajority in each legislative house, they got to figure out how to trim state spending by about 22%. That's slightly less than California spends on K-12 through education. There's only two ways to financially impact your personal, your corporate, or your government bottom line. Raising revenue, the money that comes in, or decreasing expenses, how much money you spend. And if you're in government today, you live in the United States, you're a functioning taxpayer, guess what? Where does the money come from? It comes from taxpayers. Taxes go up. Government takes that money. Oh, and by the way, especially in California and other leftist states, they'll go borrow a little more to make up the gap. How do they justify it? Well, we're going to give all these people, these illegal aliens, we're going to give them free health care. That's the humanity way to operate. Yeah, all right. Hey, guys, that's it for the day. Have a great weekend.